0: Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. So I am absolutely stoked for today's episode on the podcast. She is literally the epitome of a water woman and literally brings the term to life. So I'll let you introduce yourself and a bit about who you are.
1: Um, okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brinkley Davies. I am a marine biologist by trade, but uh, I'm also a surfer and a free diver. And I have a not for profit as well, which mostly helps wildlife
0: and marine conservation. So basically the coolest person ever, like seriously, if you guys go check out Brinkley's uh, social medias and website and everything, you will be blown away. She is absolutely amazing. I'm so excited that she's joining us today to talk all about herself and the cool, cool things that she does. <laughs> Thanks so much for having
1: me on. I actually haven't done a podcast in a very long time, maybe ever. <laughs> I've done a lot of interviews, but I think this is maybe my first podcast. Um, oh, I'm like-
0: so excited that you're here with us, Ben. thanks so you are obviously like a water woman you are in love with the ocean did you grow up around the ocean like did you always know this is kind of where your life would take you or was it something you found later on or was it like from the moment you were little you knew
1: um yeah I mean I both my parents like loved the sea and we grew up near the sea and so did they um and I actually started surfing both myself and my brother grew up surfing and I started surfing when I was about four so um, we literally grew up surfing and snorkeling and on the coast and I'm super grateful probably more than anything for that childhood um, because it gave me like a crazy confidence with the ocean from a young age and I did surf lifesaving as well, like as a, as a kid, um, which teaches you like all the skills as well as, um, what I learned from my parents and just surfing.
0: Yeah. That is so cool. I'm so jealous that you got to grow up like right on the ocean in such a beautiful area. Like that must've been just like an unreal experience. It was, it was, um,
1: like I think back to it a lot nowadays, especially meeting people that you know, like either learned to swim or surf at a, like as an adult, it's just so different when you're a kid and the things you learn when you're a kid, you just, they're like second nature to you. So I guess that's where a lot of my comfort with not only the sea and and surfing um, and free diving and I guess being in situations in the ocean that other people would find scary. Um, on top of that, I also like being a surfer in South Australia, growing up, you see a lot of um, like a lot of marine life kind of all the time, like dolphins and seals and sharks, and you're exposed to things like at an early age. And then, I guess that's where I like started becoming interested in like everything um, that's in the
0: ocean, as well as just like riding waves. <laughs> I love it. So like, you weren't just interested in like spending time in the ocean. You were definitely kind of curious about it and wanted to learn more about it.
1: Yeah, I was super curious and I always like loved animals so much. Um, like at home, we grew up on a property and I had everything I could as a pet <laughs> um, I because I was just obsessed and I have like mom has got these photos of me with like a million little fluffy toy animals and it used to be like I used to read to them. <laughs> it's is so, so cute. It's so funny um, but yeah I guess I used to just kind of when I was a kid like give animals like their own personalities like in my head and then when I started like seeing a lot of marine life I kind of was the same. And I always wanted to like learn, learn more about all the, all the wildlife and um, things that I was seeing and understand them. And then like, as I grew up, it just like, I started learning more about like what, what happens to them and how to help protect
0: them. And yeah, kind of just like was a big rolling ball from a young age. So it was like a pretty natural transition for you to study. Like it made sense for you to study marine biology and to pursue that for sure. Yeah, like I was
1: really tossing up between marine biology and then being a vet or studying climate sciences um cuz I was so interested in everything and everything so intertwined and I was like really like passionate about caring for animals as well and like I used to like try to rescue things and look after them and set them free again when I was a kid and then but then being a vet I um like I learned, I've learned a lot of skills in my life, like about caring for wildlife especially, but with marine bio, I wanted to like more so learn, um, like have a better understanding of the ocean and um, have like an underlying, I guess, like academic insight into how yeah. research works and how science works so that when I read things and read about like research on things that basically tells you what's happening to them and um you know, why they're endangered or why they're not, Um, I wanted to have that knowledge for myself to, like, uh, one day, if I wanted to create my own project, then I know how to do it. Um, Yeah. And through it as well, like, when I was at uni, I, on top of doing my undergrad, I um, did a lot of volunteer work. So, like, I volunteered, like, for marine animal rescue and as a research assistant, both, like, crunching numbers and in the field. and just tried to, like, basically um, load myself up with as many, like, experiences and skills as possible. So I was, like, ready for whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, kind of get all the insight you can so that you can take it and run with it as you get older and decide which way you want to go with it. And, like, that, yeah. I find all of us, not all of us, but, like... I find when you have that like passion for the ocean, you just get this like thirst for it, and you like can't get enough. Like you're like, okay, this is cool. I want to learn more about this. I need to learn more yeah. about this. And it's and, so fun to like dive into things and learn all like the behind the scenes of how everything works. Almost
1: it is, and I guess like it's
0: funny because like
1: when I studied, obviously that was <laughs> there was like the internet and access to a lot of information already, but not as much as now and but what I knew like from just like growing up and being um, like having access to a lot of experiences and seeing things for myself is I wanted to like I, I know that outside of what's in textbooks and everything like the world's just changing so fast. And so I guess that's why I, I never really planned on pursuing a career like um, as in where I'm at uni, like teaching academics. Yeah like as in I never wanted to be in a lab, I just wanted to I wanted to know what was going on to then like take that knowledge out <laughs> into the world and to different spots and then like be like, okay, that's what that is um, because it's constantly changing. It's like some of the stuff that's in textbooks that I have for my degree is, is outdated now. It's just like the world changes so fast.
0: You do strike me as much more of a like field scientist or someone who likes to be out in the water and really like yeah. feeling water. And I feel like it gives you a really unique perspective because you can read about things like, oh, this species is threatened, but it's never going to hit you as hard as when you're like in the water diving with these species exactly. or like you catch a glimpse of them while you're out there. Like it really gives you a different perspective.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of what I that's what I started doing. Like I, I mean, in myself, like just being there and noticing things and it, it makes you realize way more. And then it also, it teaches people like, I feel like with most of the things that are going wrong in the world for the environment, like people don't really care about them until they see them and it like plays on their mind a bit, or like if it hits them emotionally and they're like, Oh my God, that's really bad. And like visually seeing something in my experience for both myself and people I've, being around is what like drives people the most and makes them like realize and be inspired to help and I guess uh I first like helped as a research assistant in Hawaii actually um on a research boat for like toothed whales and we were seeing so much crazy stuff every day and just by like documenting things and like putting them online like I started using my Instagram as like a Kind of like a blog, I guess, and talking about what I was doing or what I was seeing. And then there's a lot of people that like don't have the opportunity to do that, or maybe work in a total different area. And then like just giving the general public like education or like um, access to seeing really cool things is like what I found to be like super powerful to inspire people. Um, and that's kind of like where I got into like
0: filming everything and taking photos of yeah. all the animals, <laughs> yeah your Instagram is really a fantastic place even for people who just kind of want to get started and be introduced to this because it's such like beautiful photos and like gives you that look of like the water world kind of thing and it's so cool to see
1: oh thanks I um yeah I like have a lot of fun with it but it is it's really cool like it's taken me I never really like think of it as like it's, I never think of it as like something real serious but I I love it like and I love like writing about things and I kind of yeah it's like I guess I'm like expressing my opinions about the world but at the same time like sharing I just always like look at animals and look at how they are and like their personalities and I guess people don't often look at wildlife like that and once once you like put that up put that next to wildlife to people that you know have no idea about an animal or anything it it kind of makes them be super intrigued and like obsessed with them and then they want to protect them. So that's like, that's, um, that's how I like try to share my, like, I guess not opinion, but like view on, I just always try yeah. to observe things and then make videos.
0: <laughs> I love that. So when did you get started with like um, this videography and like sharing your photos and stuff? When did that kind of start to become a bigger thing for you?
1: Um,
0: I mean, like, when
1: I was at university and as like a research assistant, I started learning how to use like shooting photos on like bigger cameras and like high res photos. And um, like I did like a photography course and stuff like that when I was younger and I just wanted it as a skill so I could like take cool photos of what was around me. And um, then I just kind of taught myself, like I got a GoPro and started filming like my dives because it was easy to like, they're super easy to carry around and you yeah. don't really have to think about it. Um, and, yeah, then I just kind of taught myself um, video editing and photo editing along the way. And, like, it's super fun. I have fun with it. But, um, but yeah, it's just kind of become, a like, a big part of, I guess, like, what I do. But I, I never, like, thought of myself as a videographer or photographer. But it is, like, my, I guess, like, part of my primary job now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I recently just got, um, like I've been taking photos on my bigger, like Sony camera for years now, but I only recently just got a bigger housing and it's been so much fun. Um, like, cause it just can focus on the tiniest things underwater and you just find yourself hanging down there for way longer.
0: <laughs> I love that. It doesn't feel like work to you. Like you love it so much and you're doing it because you love it. And It's almost like a benefit to us that you love this, and we just get to enjoy it along with you, which is so cool.
1: Yeah, well, I guess that's like, that's what I that's what I want to that's
0: what that's what I want people
1: to um like see it as as well. It's just like as something that's fun and like cool to look at, and makes them want to go out and watch animals all day, like me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's so cool to see how you can inspire different aspects of like marine biology, like people looking at your. At your photos and Instagram and whatnot, will be inspired to go into like conservation. Some will be inspired to go into specific areas of marine biology. All like it's so cool how such little things can drastically change people's outlook on things.
1: Yeah. And I guess I think like when I was when I started my degree, it's really like daunting when you start a degree in marine biology because you have like it's such a broad topic. Like a lot of people don't realize they don't they like oh my god you're a marine biologist like and they think you must like do something real specific like um you know everyone thinks of marine biologists of people that just swim around with dolphins like it is the furthest like you have to grind so hard and be like in a lab and spend your life like writing huge documents um I have a lot of friends that like you know have gone on to do their PhDs and further and it's hard it's hard work if you like pursue it academically and you're doing a research project on one thing. Um and I like respect that so much. And I I definitely considered like doing a few projects that were really interesting to me. But then if I gave all my time to that, I wouldn't be doing all my other things. So um yeah, it's a it's a hard one, but it's so broad. Like you can choose from so many different things to do. And I have a lot of friends that either went into like you can go into the academic realm or you can go into like marine tourism where a lot of um Like a lot of companies that you might work for that are like eco tourism companies want you to have marine biology for your knowledge. Um, And I actually worked like I worked as a guide um, in a few different places over the last like six or seven years um, when I was like in my early 20s to get experience and like learn learn so much from being a guide. And, you know, you're teaching like customers and um, people that come out on tours every day about the ocean and that's like a really cool thing to do as well so there's just so many things you can do with it it's
0: yeah it's great I I love that like one of the biggest shocks for me is like when I started my like undergrad marine biology and I was kind of like hmm, I wonder what there is for jobs like yeah when you're looking for jobs it's there's not even like <laughs> there's none first and <laughs> foremost but like I would like search up on like marine biologist jobs and I would like you almost expect to be like applying for a job title where the job title is just marine biologist and that's not that's literally you're never going to find a job title that's just like marine biologist because there's so many different ways you can go exactly and
1: I I've always like I've obviously been asked like the questions and advice so much on people that are starting and it's really like you have to decide like if there's something you like doing that's within marine biology that you like the most. And then I feel like you have to have a clear like plan and path of where you want to go. Um, yeah. Cause you could, you can go into so many different things. I think it's completely up to you, like what you do with your degree. Like there's so many, there's so many different roads you could go down. And um, it's, it's such a hard question to answer when people ask me that, because I, have like morphed my I guess like career around a bunch of different things that include my degree but I kind of like created all of those together whereas like some people might just be like okay I want to research like whales and like a specific area of whales and then that's your whole life yeah and that's like epic as well and I was so obsessed with like um like I still am obsessed with orcas but like tooth whale's like my favorite and I really if I was considering research when I was at uni I wanted to like go into killer whale research or like um pilot whales and anything that come up as an opportunity I was like okay I'm gonna do that and then I considered doing an honors in that but then I started getting like all those other outside opportunities that I'm so grateful I did that now but there's just it depends on what you're into so it's so um it's so hard
0: there's definitely like so many ways you can take it and it just like is mind blowing. And even like, it's so cool that there's people that can make a career out of like, like what you're doing with like the scientific like communication and like sharing the ocean's message for lack of a better term. And like just introducing it to people who may not be exposed to it and sharing the love and the passion, which is like so cool that you get to do that as your job.
1: Yeah. And I like, I'm so grateful for it. And, um, and I also, I guess, like for me as well, like obviously I have a scientific background, but before that, I was, like, I have had animals as friends my whole life, and I, I found it hard actually at university in a lot of ways because I was like, okay, everything's too calculated now. They're like,
0: yeah, like
1: that. They're, they're becoming like they're just talking about animals like they're like um, instead of like emotions and stuff like that. And I guess like a lot of a lot of my like a lot of my connections with animals has been what's like made me learn the most by being able to like, maybe like form relationships with animals Mm. or even like be able to lay on the bottom and observe like sea lions for hours. And, you know, when you see animals, personalities and stuff like that, that's where I think people are inspired most to protect them and learn more. And sometimes in science I'm like, okay, but you guys got to actually go out and watch them. (laughs) Um, And that's where I wanted to like, grab what i knew from my degree and then combine it with like actually being there and i guess it's like a privilege but also like a lot of scientists dream of being able to be out in the field every day but um i guess that's where i like i use the other aspects of my life to be able to go out and do that like filming and photography and diving and honestly like surfing as a kid was surfing you come across so many animals that you i mean <laughs> Surfers kind of sometimes have a different perspective because you're sitting on top of the water and, you, <laughs> like, if it's different looking at a seal when it's like chewing on your leg rope and playing with you, and it's like an overcast day as opposed to being underwater and seeing it and thinking it's cute. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's um, it's it's been a big combination of things, but yeah, <laughs> it's been fun.
0: I love that. So. You have done some really cool things. And I think one of the coolest is the foundation you have founded. Can you tell us more about that? Because I am blown away by it.
1: Oh, thanks. Um,
0: yeah. So, I mean,
1: about what's it now? 2021. It's, oh, my God. Um, so in 2016, I was looking after. Um, sorry. No, it was before that. I was living in Port Lincoln and I actually moved over there straight after um, my degree. Cause I got a job on like a, it's like a great white shark um, cage dive company and they also run swim with the sea lions. And I got that job straight out of university as a, like as a guide um, where you, it was like a preferred if you had a degree in marine bio and that kind of is what um, made me move over there. And when I was over there, like, and just before that, I was doing a lot of volunteer work with like different, um, different organizations or charities that were like in environmental conservation or animal welfare and things like that. And I guess, um, I guess it had been about like five years of me like volunteering for different not-for-profits, and through that, I was kind of learning about the way it all works. And what I noticed at the time was that um, was that like a lot of support for like really large scale charities and not for profits doesn't often reach like grassroots level or like the people and environments that I was seeing around me and wanted to help like things that were bothering me directly. Um, And I guess I was like, well, I could start my own and um, it was, I kind of always wanted to use it as like something like a tool where I can uh, connect people from my networks I already had and like grow it as a community of people that, that wanted to help both land and marine-based conservation and so at the time i didn't realize how much work it was setting up a, <laughs> setting up a not-for-profit um i was just like oh my god and obviously we had you know you have to have lawyers and legal help and a board of directors and and everything and it took me probably two years to like set it up before we actually got it registered as a um as an incorporated association which is like the first level And then after so much time, you can get registered as a charity. Um, And so we basically got registered as an incorporated association. And then just even in Port Lincoln on the Air Peninsula, um, we did like a few beach cleanups. And then we had like a few people from Adelaide and Western Australia, like run beach cleanups on our behalf. And then then I also screened... uh, like a a movie like a public a free public screening of an environmental movie um in port lincoln and it was funny because the the community's like um great it's the most epic community but there's a lot of people that i guess like don't know a lot about climate change and what's going on on the large scale and so i like screened before the flood with leonardo dicaprio on on, like a refrigerator (laughs) truck um love that and people were probably like who is this little blonde girl like (laughs) like, what? what is she doing? And it was, but it was really cool. Like a lot of people were like, whoa, and had no idea about, you know, like Moscow, like agriculture problems and like coral bleaching and like all these things. So I just started out doing like a bunch of small things and then like people would join me, I guess. Um, and then on top of that, uh, just after that, just after I founded Balu Blue um, is when I like raised my kangaroo. So we had a kangaroo for two years who started off like as 200 grams I'm um, sure was like from an accident like a car accident and um her name's Bungie. and I like oh. actually I actually wrote a book um which I haven't published yet about it which I hope to publish in the next couple of years um
0: that is so exciting you'll have to keep us updated on that
1: yeah so basically like I through having her like I'd been involved in wildlife care before and um but through having her from such a tiny age, like it's so much work um, and so stressful and that for like for you as a carer, because it's so hard to keep them alive from when they're that small, but they are the most like special, smart and like emotional little animals. And anyways, long story short, we ended up um, raising her and like actually um She's now she's gonna be turning five this year, so she made it to adulthood, which was like the biggest okay. feat ever for me and as a part of that I like was in uh, contact with like a lot of different wildlife carers and um like directly a couple in Port Lincoln called Linda and Bronte who I'm now very good friends with um, who they had three uh, rescue kangaroos at the time and they had like a bit of land as well and With Bungie, because she's a Euro, which is like a Wallaroo, they like bond with you for life and it's like um, kangaroos can get this condition called myopathy where they can die from stress. So like you have to, yeah, it's really crazy. So you have to make sure that you're never putting them under stress. And um, basically, like I was at a point in my life and career where, you know, she was like my baby. She was, it was so (laughs) It was so beautiful but so heartbreaking. Like I knew that at at a point I had to give her to a sanctuary or somewhere where she could live out her life like safe and because in South Australia you can't release hand-raised macropods, so like kangaroos, wallabies. And um, so I wanted to find somewhere that was like amazing for her and so I started transitioning her to Linda and Bronte's property Um, and like we started off as an organisation like helping out and fundraising um to build like little shelters and the fence and to pay for food and veterinary bills. Um and so we kind of like started off doing that um for them and for Bungie and for their ruse they had. And yeah, it's um it was like the most emotional time. Like I'd I'd drop her there and like for a couple of hours and then come back. And then it was like dropping a kid to kindergarten <laughs> and then she would wait at the fence for me and I'd like it was so hard and then um yeah after about six months she was she was getting used to it and um yeah it's now like been a couple of years she's been there they have 24 or 25 kangaroos and three wombats and we've been able to help them uh like with with funds like the whole way through and um and yeah she will like will always have like this bond she runs up to me like I can I can call her and she'll come to me from the other side of the paddock and she like doesn't do that with anyone else. It's pretty, it makes me cry every time. (laughs) That is Um, such an insane bond. Yeah, they are like, people don't realize that how smart and like cute and special they are. Like they are so intelligent. She literally spent the first year and a half of her life growing up with my dog, Ohana. Um, and like Ohana, I got after Bungie. So she was like, Oh, she was. They were always like playing, like like bickering, like brother and sister. <laughs> um, I love it. It's so funny. But um yeah, I guess like from that whole experience, I was like, oh my god, like I really want to help um, wildlife carers because it's so hard and expensive to look after wildlife. Like it's the veterinary products you need, and like the milk replacement and the housing and all of that most people just pay for themselves like out of their own money and um yeah I guess like uh with Balu Blue what we've been able to do which actually was huge last year um was help like directly carers and smaller wildlife sanctuaries that I guess are like they don't have government or corporate support so we can like drive our funds to them and um, at the start of last year, you probably heard about like the bushfires in Australia. We had, um, yeah. the craziest, wow, like, I can't
0: believe that was a whole year ago.
1: Yeah, it was insane. And it was just like such a depressing time for a lot of people. Like it was really close to like where I grew up and I actually spent like a couple of months volunteering and fundraising and, um, like helping. And we used Balu Blue like directly then to donate to like nine or 10, um, like sanctuaries and carers that will that got hit by the fires or were caring for all the wildlife coming in and that was like everything from um like kangaroos and wallabies and koalas and bats and birds and everything so it was it was really amazing to be able to like help on like a larger scale last year and um yeah so it's I guess like the my passions for like um (laughs) land and like marine conservation have been like I've divided like the foundation into like two sections so we have like land and sea. Um and so the land stuff is like focused on wildlife care and then on a major scale like down the um down the track we would love to create like sanctuary zones um because the biggest problem in Australia is like wildlife are losing their habitat at a crazy rate and um like which is from both like house development and A lot of like kangaroos and wombats and animals like that lose their native habitat to farming um, and then they have run-ins with farmers and so we want to create like little pockets where they can be and never have to lose their habitat. Um, So yeah that's like a major goal for the land-based side for the organization.
0: That is awesome to kind of create like protected areas for them.
1: Yeah and it's obviously like something that's that would be like a major project where we would need major funding and sponsors and things like that. And I've guess I've just been kind of like, um like us as an organization have just been kind of like growing really organically and more people get involved each year and like all of us are volunteers. So it's just, um we're not in any way, like a big corporate charity. We're just like a, a couple of people who love wildlife as much as me, like help out um, with all the different aspects. And um yeah it's been really fun and like it's made me meet some amazing people and I'm stoked on where it's gotten to
0: that's amazing that it's just like a small group of you that actually cares because I feel like you're getting more of the passion and like everyone is like doing it because they want to be like it's not exactly like it's like not a job that we like have to go to it's like a job that you want to be doing which makes it the work more rewarding and more meaningful almost
1: yeah, and I guess, like, that's that's 100% true. And um, obviously, like, if you become a big charity, then you, like, begin having paid roles and things like that, which is, like, obviously, if we grew to be big enough, that would be a thing. But at the moment, it's literally just, like, everyone who can give time. Like, I mean, we've had, like, lawyers. We have accountants. We have people that help just off their own back because they just want to help wildlife. Um and that's just like how I am too. Like it's, it's time consuming running a charity. I guess like people, people are always like, what do you do every day? And I'm like, I do a lot of things, <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's, um, it's just like a huge passion project and it makes me super happy that it's like growing every day. Cause by growing, it just means that we can do more. Um, and it's just like, every time I see like an animal being hit by a car or like, Or like a sea lion or anything. I'm just like, oh my god! At least like, at least we're growing to be able to help you. Like, it just makes me makes me
0: happy that we've created something like that. It's fun to see your passion projects kind of take off and be something that you can pursue and kind of work with. And you, it must be bittersweet for you sometimes because you're like, it's so nice to be able to help the animals, but you have to like seeing the animals like that must be hard. But at least you know that you're helping.
1: Yeah, it is. And that's like that's the thing with like I've never like had as much respect for wildlife carers as I do in the last couple of years. Obviously, like I am a carer also, but like people I ha- I know people that care for like 30 or 40 animals and it's so heartbreaking and like it's a full-time job. Like, you know, kangaroos that are young need feeding like every 3 hours like a human baby. Like it's oh it's, it's like a constant um a constant thing where like the smallest things like temperature change or like change of diet can like really make them sick and so it's like when you like love something so much and you've raised it and then there's just so much that goes into it that people don't realize and um yeah so there's that whole there's that whole side of um of balu blue and then we have like our marine side as well which is so exciting it's more um more based around um, like wildlife sorry <laughs> I just talked too much in one sentence um, our marine side is more based around awareness um, for the Great Southern Reef so which covers like a huge portion of the southern end of Australia like where I grew up and um, it's basically like a temperate reef system that covers 8,000 kilometers of coastline and it's super understudied yet it's like one of the most biodiverse places on earth and most of the species that live there are not found anywhere else in the world and um yeah so it's really amazing and I guess I've seen a lot of it growing up here and spending time diving and surfing and um whatnot and I know how special it is and so do like Sarah who um is on our board is studying like a base level seaweed and that doesn't sound that exciting to many people or marine biologists but it's so important and just like down here in Tasmania and the kelp forests that have declined like so much over the last couple of decades like they are such big parts of the ecosystem and I guess we want to really be like a big part of putting it on the map because unlike the Great Barrier Reef or the Ningaloo which are like super attractive to people and for wanting to protect because they can go dive and it's all pretty Um, because it's a bit colder and a bit more raw and rugged um, like down where the Great Southern Reef is. I guess people don't even know much about it or how important it is. And, yeah, yeah, last year we were able to put it on the map like with Mission Blue, so Sylvia L's organisation, who's like a huge inspiration huge yeah so we were like so excited because she basically came on board and um like Sarah worked really hard to um like get it registered as a hope spot so we were able to be a part of its hope spot um registration which basically means that Mission Blue like back it and we're just the more it's recognized the closer it is to getting like government level protection which is the key, like, some something so big, like, the ecosystem is so big and is made up of so many tiny, um, like, coastal ecosystems and towns and, like, huge populations of people that live there and I guess, like, the biggest threat to the whole southern coastline of Australia is oil and gas and, um, like, ma- major major drilling, like, off the continental shelf, which would just destroy everything, so our goal like with the awareness is to eventually get it to a point where the government's like okay and can like at least make zones that are completely protected um, because I'm sure you know about how detrimental <laughs> oil and gas can be. But, yeah, I've been yes. involved with, I guess, like trying to keep big oil out of like the Great Australian Bite for like a very long time and that's the biggest threat that we have and it's such
0: a huge threat. It's like overwhelming to a lot of people. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's one of those things that like as you start to think about it you're like okay um feeling a little bit of existential dread here Um, yeah and it's such a like it's
1: such a weird like double-edged sword because I obviously grew up in like rural and country Australia on the coast where you know we don't have like we don't have access to like solar cars and electric cars that are practical enough like um, but we have so much air, like wind um, and like natural power that we could be utilising and it's like I hope that one day we can like be way more, like Australia can be way more onto it with their renewable energy and we can drive around in four drives that are <laughs> solar. That's like my dream. But until then, you know, we're driving like oil-powered cars but it's it's like we don't need a drill here like... <laughs> that it's all the all the oil that they were proposing to drill for in the bite would be going overseas so it's not even providing oh. like jobs or or oil for Australia it was like proposed to go international which makes even less sense and just proves that like yeah. basically our government was like selling it out which is so sad um so yeah we just we really want to like keep making um noise about the Great Southern Reef and like creating like documentaries and things like that that make people realize how amazing it is as like just as amazing as the great barrier and things like that it's just um there's just bigger animals down here and it's a lot colder
0: (laughs) I love that bigger animals and colder I love it what a description
1: it's like the most simple way to describe it I think that's it's like what puts people off as well (laughs) they're like why would we want to go somewhere that's cold but like if you come and see it it's amazing um, I love can, that. You can just wear a thicker wetsuit.
0: <laughs> One of my friends actually did her, um, she did an exchange for a semester in our undergrad. And she was like, I'm going to Australia. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And she ended up going to Tasmania. Yeah. <laughs> she was there for a little bit of the warm time. She's like, yeah, it's a little colder than expected.
1: Yeah, um, well, I actually like, that's where I am right now.
0: <laughs> I love that. So it's <laughs> like...
1: It's funny, though, because here it's, I mean, it's kind of similar. I grew up in South Australia and it's kind of similar um, temperatures, like the water's cold and when it's hot, it's really hot and then it's really cold. Um, but I mean, yeah, you just need a good wetsuit and you just got to embrace when the sun's out.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I feel that. So I live in eastern Canada. So diving here is always like freezing cold.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I, I always like think about. Yeah. Um, like I do, I live half the year in Exmouth where I've like been based for the last six or seven years. So North WA where it's, it's actually a mix of temperate and tropical, but it's warm. Like wow. the weather and the water is warm. And um, so it's kind of nice. Like I like coming down here yeah. and it being fresh and cold. And also we have like just being around trees is something I never take for granted.
0: <laughs> it's kind of nice to have those like cold days. Like I lived in Australia for a little while. I was doing like, in uh, like, Gold. I was on the Gold Coast for a while. I was doing like a research trip down there, and mm-hmm. I loved it. I f- absolutely fell in love with that. I'm going back to do my uh, postgrad and everything. But like, I came back to Canada, and I was like, man, I kind of missed it. The cold. Like, I kind of forgot that I wasn't going to be sweaty all the time.
1: Yeah, I know. It's um, it's funny. Like, Australia is so diverse. I guess, like, COVID more than anything has made everyone realize like how much we have in one country. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because no one's like jotting off overseas, they've all been like, "Where can we go in Australia?" So, yeah, that's made it interesting. But um, yeah, I mean, in Northern WA, there's it's like red desert and no trees. So whenever oh, cool. I'm down here, it's like it's the absolute opposite. Like it's super lush, and the waters like the water you drink is super nice, and it's just total like opposite environment. So yeah, it's amazing. That is
0: so interesting that on the same continent, like same country you're getting Mm -hmm. such different like geological geographical um what is the word I'm looking for like landscapes different landscapes
1: Yeah. yeah it's so different um but yeah Tasmania's got like some of the most incredible wildlife like in the water and on land it's so special and um it's like a great example of how the rest of Australia could be if they cared more about the na- natural environment like yeah. it's pretty like dominated here by like huge forests and um and like kelp like kelp beds and that in the in the ocean and a lot of like places that aren't exploited obviously like there is things that do harm the environment down here but it's not like the mainland where it's just like um like it it's all just like a kind of a lot of place in Australia. There's either too many people and too many houses and like nature doesn't kind of rule. Whereas down here, you know, we have like bandicoots and, and like quolls and owls and everything like around our house. And it's like so special.
0: Oh, That is so cool. Yeah. Now. Speaking of bandicoots, actually, this is a perfect segue because you have another little side project that is so cool that I want to share. Can you tell us a little bit about your jewelry brand?
1: Yeah, so um, I guess like forever I've been obsessed with like ocean jewelry and like or like silver jewelry that's like, a you know, represents like the environment in any way. And I've kind of over the last like 10 years of traveling been collecting like little Little things from all over the world, and I have like a sketchbook that has like ideas and like different collection ideas and stuff in it since I was like I don't know seventeen, and I was like one day I'm gonna make a jewelry line, and um, then like at the start of last year, obviously like I had to cancel all my overseas trips and like any work I had on that included traveling, and I was like you know what I'm just gonna use this year to do this, and um, yeah I just started like putting together everything to create like a, a brand. And, um, and yeah, I'm so excited. I launched, I think in August last year, like just three things and then another collection over Christmas. And it's all, um it's all so special to me. Like each piece is like unique and like is so connected to like experiences I've had. And most importantly, I just wanted to like create something that was a like giving back to Barlow Blue because I've never like launched a physical product on like my stores and I wanted to make sure that it's donating. Um, And on top of that, um, I guess I've, I've had like a lot of experience and insight into like unethical fashion and trade. And I've seen so much stuff where I'm like, oh my God, I'm never supporting that. And jewelry is like no exception to that if you are buying things you don't know where they come from and so I did a whole lot of research into not only like where like silver and gold comes from but like where gemstones come from and then also like who's making it what it's packaged in um, and all of that so basically took a long time (laughs) to get it all up and going and like find the right people and find the right products and um and make sure that it's good quality because I wanted to like create like little pieces that are you know like higher price point because a they're giving back um, and b they're good quality and if you look after them they should last forever um, and c it's actually supporting like ethically made things where like the people making them are earning a proper wage and you know same as what we earn in Australia whereas a lot of people that make jewellery or have like brands like just kind of disregard all of that and just order it from wherever and it's bothers me a lot like I know the people who make my jewellery personally and they are incredible and I'm like it makes me happy every time we create like a range or something because it's like it's like a very long process of getting a product from start to finish and um, my whole idea is like kind of like vintage inspired like all the old school like diving shots of people wearing like jewellery and because I want it to last um, mm. And I just like love vintage stuff, and then silver's like pretty safe to wear in the water, so um, yeah, like it shouldn't tarnish, kind of thing, like as much That's as awesome, yeah. So obviously, like it depends on how much um, each person looks after it, but. <laughs> like I wore my first collection for a year like and I mean like I thrashed it like way beyond the point (laughs) of what any customer should ever do to a piece of jewelry because I wanted to see like what it could handle um and like it I was pretty impressed I was like okay like mostly like with a couple of the designs I released um that were like real dangly and so like I don't have like that longer hair and I always tie it back. So I was like wearing it diving and stuff without it getting tangled. And it's so cool. Like it was, um, yeah, it's been like a really fun project. And I have like a whole like board of ideas of other stuff I'm going to create. And I've got like a couple of things coming out soon, which is so cool. So it's all like a whole lot of fun and just like, yeah, another passion project that's supporting, um, supporting Barlow Blue. And I, um, it's super nice because now I can like wear, wear the jewelry that I've created, um, which has like been a big mix of like things I've collected over time and that what's inspired like the design. So yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: (laughs) It's amazing that you have something that's so like wearable like that. Like I know that like, I love jewelry, but it's so annoying to have to like Not care for it because obviously you're caring for it, but to be so like concerned about it, like, oh, I shouldn't wear this when I'm in the water, or I should like, oh, I'm going surfing right now, I should take this off. Like, you just, you're always kind of on the go and you want jewelry that can kind of move with you and
1: be with you through that. Totally. And that's like, I never ever used to take like any of my rings off. And that's like, like, I was working as a whale shark guide for like a couple of years and, um, that's one thing like people always commented on the like, "Oh my god you still got your earrings in like when I'd be like swimming around with whale sharks and I was like oh yeah like I don't want to take them out and so I'll, like the first two collections I released um like you can wear them in the water but then this next this next one I'm bringing out is like made for like surfing and diving it's pretty bulletproof like I'm excited Um, I've been wearing it a lot lately and I've been wearing it like smooshed under my five mil hooded wetsuit and stuff like that. Um, (laughs) and like sleeping in them. And so I like wear everything a lot before I release it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool. And I like, I just like the way silver looks underwater too. And I do want to bring out some, um, I really want to bring out some gold stuff, but like, um, gold's a lot harder because it's, way more expensive like if you yeah. actually use proper gold and also um, yeah it's it's just like a much higher price point but you can there are really good ways to do like gold plated that's like um, actually over sterling silver um, and then there's like gold filled and there's all these things I've learned about so um, oh, cool. yeah because I mean I'm sure you've experienced like I don't know when I was a teenager I used to just buy jewelry from like whatever the like jewelry shop at the, at yeah. the shopping mall and then like it would turn your ears green um, <laughs> but that's like because they cover brass which is like such a cheap metal and so silver's like sterling silver is amazing my ring my like it's called the coral gardens ring it's like super thick like chunky one that I wear all the time and that thing has been like dropped and like smushed and lost and it's just like the biggest trooper like I'll probably have it forever <laughs>
0: I love that. And that's so like, I love how sustainable it is too. And that you're not sacrificing that for the, the beauty and the functionality and that, like, I love that sustainability is still a forefront of this and still super important to it.
1: Yes. Like always, it's always like, I couldn't in my own head or like heart ever create anything that's not completely to my like moral standard because I i am the same with everything. Like it's, um. I always like think about things impact and because I obviously created a brand I I wouldn't ever create something that's not environmentally like sustainably sound because um, that's just how I am and I like um <laughs> yeah it's just the way it is but the other thing yeah. I learned a lot about which um was like when I was learning about starting a jewelry brand is like gemstones and obviously like uh I've traveled a lot through like Borneo and tropical rainforests in like our third world countries and they like rip down forests to like mine for gemstones for like big corporate jewelry brands and I was like oh my god I had no idea about this and obviously like in Borneo you've got like the orangutans who are already super endangered and lose their habitat to palm oil and I was just like oh my god now they're losing it to gemstones um and so I was like okay and looked into like lab created gemstones so instead of them having to mine for like opals and gemstones they actually can like mimic the natural processes like in a lab and so we use like they are exactly the same to that like eye and they mimic the whole natural process but they don't have to mine for them so that's why we like use lab-grown gemstones like they're the same like quality and everything they're just without the environmental like tearing the rainforest down um (laughs) because that's like a whole aspect of jewelry that people don't realize because like obviously gemstones are so pretty and I like I love them as well but you can yeah and there are like that there are um, like natural opals and stuff like that that uh, you can get that are ethically like sourced and sustainably sourced but they are so expensive (laughs) so it's like yeah unless you got thousands of dollars it's I think that like lab grown
0: is the way to go Absolutely. Now we've talked about like why you love to share your love of the ocean, but why mm-hmm. is it important for you to share it in the aspect of like inspiring younger people, specifically like young women? Like if there was some, a young woman listening to this episode right now, was like, oh my goodness, like I want to be just like her. Like, why is that important to you? And like, if you had any advice for someone listening?
1: Um, great question. <laughs> um, so I mean, I've always like looked at what I do and like what I have like created for myself, I guess, as I just always knew what I was passionate about like and I think that as a girl, especially growing up, there's so many factors that we deal with like that are like can be negative on your life, and I think that I always just focus on what I really loved, which was like surfing, diving, and the environment, and then creating a life where like your your passions are the core thing that you create your career around and i mean i did a lot of things like to get to where i am today to be able to do what i'm doing and just like building like i guess like whatever you um whatever you're doing as long as you are on the path to where you want to go and i think i think like now more than like 10 years ago it's so hard like for for i, I mean it can be easy but for for a lot of girls i know it's hard because it's a Massively digital world, and people like get lost in things that mm. I find like so superficial or not important. And I guess by like by spending so much time in in nature and with animals and having connections to that, it really like it really always grounds you and makes you realize what's important. Like you've yeah, never yeah. you'll never yeah. meet a <laughs> you'll never meet an animal that's like judging you or like <laughs> judging what you're wearing or like saying your teeth aren't white or like something stupid like the internet does. Um, but I guess like with social media too, I I always wanted to use it as a positive um, and very real like real kind of reflection of like what I'm doing and what I'm passionate about, and that was always my goal with it was to kind of lead by example as to what I think is like important and like a pretty special like career and life, and I think I think in the end it's like you you pretty much can create what you want. It just like, it just might take a little while and just like, don't give up kind of thing. Cause I, I worked many waitressing jobs and many jobs, like even in research in marine bio and like the academic field where people like, kind of like take, take you and your goals as a joke and like never used to take me seriously. And then kind of as I've gotten older and started like achieving things that I said I would, people are kind of like, oh, she actually did that. (laughs) And it's like, it's really like, makes you feel good and it makes you like never doubt yourself and um, yeah I think it's like a it's really cool these days like there's a big like women empowerment movement like um, yeah especially in uh, like fields where there wasn't like some of the like comments and stuff I dealt with like growing up just being like a girl in a lot of different aspects um, was pretty hilarious when I look back but now it's there's a lot more support and like a lot more, like, um like oomph behind women doing cool stuff. And, yeah, I'm, like, all for it. I'm all for people doing what they love. And I hope that, yeah, I just always hope that especially girls can, like, see through all the BS on social media and just, like, stick to their guns with what they want to do because <laughs> um, yes. it can be a super positive platform. Like, I look at Instagram especially as, like, something that I've used that's helped me do what I love as opposed to, like, being caught up in anything on there that's like superficial and I think if you like choose who you follow and choose what you're reading and choose what you're absorbing is like the biggest the biggest thing with everything
0: you're doing I love that advice I think that uh, that advice I don't think we've had that on the podcast and I think that is fantastic advice because it's so easy to get caught up on social media and like every so often on my Instagram like I'll go through and like unfollow me. yeah like you just kind of like go through and you're like this account is not like I don't even remember it's not why, so helping I'm following you. Yeah. this account it's not yeah. I'm not gaining anything and then I'll go through and kind of follow like people that are like uplifting and inspiring hmm. and it really kind of just changes your perspective it definitely
1: does like I I'm the same like I'll like check myself if I've like followed pages or what that are like either wasting my time or like making me I don't know making me feel like uneasy and um I literally follow like animal pages that make me laugh or happy and then like um really like inspiring people like I follow a lot of athletes and photographers and like a lot of like pages like Nat Geo and you know all the all the wildlife and earth stuff that's based around like the things I love and it's it's instead of looking at your phone and looking at stuff that's like could be detrimental you're looking at stuff that's like you're like whoa okay epic I want to do that and like it's it can be a really cool tool you just gotta um you gotta like utilize it. yourself yeah you gotta utilize it the right way and like cut the cut the bullshit out of it
0: <laughs> love that the lack of one a better of my, <laughs> one of my biggest things was like in the summer season like when I was out like I want to study whales and when I was out on the boat every day like looking at the whales it was really easy to be motivated and was like heck yeah this is what I want to do like mm-hmm. I'll I'll do anything and then you would get to the winter months and it was kind of like, okay, what? If, like, why am I putting so much effort in? Like, I'm not seeing this. And like yeah, following those accounts that it's like people that lived in places like Australia or like near the equator where it was like summer all the time yeah. and like quotations, like always warm and the whales are around and everything, really helped because it, I would still get to be exposed to it without yeah. it physically being there. Totally. And I think, yeah,
1: you got to always – think about like what you're working towards like you might spend three or four years like at university like stuck behind screens and I know that <laughs> like I know when you're like oh my god I could be on the water today like what am I doing but then you're gonna realize that you will be doing that one day it's just like it takes time I think people always as well uh everyone's in such a rush like these days like to to like be someone and to like prove themselves and all that and like it takes a long time like to get where you want to be and you got to like trust the process and also realize that yes. what you're doing every day is like a part of it and that's what i've learned more than anything is it now i can be like oh you know that led me to there and then that led me to there and sometimes you do things which you're like you really don't like or and then you realize you don't like it and move to the next thing and that's <laughs> exactly. what that's what yes. i did like the um the first like people always ask me how I got into freediving and um, like when i was younger like 15 16 because of my surfing i was like competing and i started getting asked to surf in like a couple of random tv commercials <laughs> and i was like how is this oh and then i'm like okay whatever i'll do it and then then i got asked to be in like underwater fashion shoots and so i actually did a couple of fashion like high fashion like in a wedding dress like a corset wedding dress standing on the bottom of a pool holding my breath um and like those sorts of things like I actually did those and then I look back and I'm like that's how I learned to equalize like that's how I learned to stand underwater and like all of those things that I did when I was younger like led to all the things I'm doing now then it's like (laughs) no one knows all that (laughs)
0: stuff it's so funny you would have never thought that those little things would have gotten you to where you are
1: exactly yeah it all it all adds up um and yeah so it's all like it's a big process I guess people just gotta realize trust the process yeah that's
0: it (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much for joining us on the water women podcast today it was absolutely awesome to have you on and I cannot wait to share this episode with everyone thanks so much for having me it's been fun chatting (laughs) thank you for listening to another episode of the water women podcast I love sharing these stories with you and I love that you love to listen make sure if you like the podcast you're leaving a review and liking and subscribing to the podcast it really helps us out you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Waterwomen Podcast and on Twitter at Waterwomen Pod. You can also check out more from us, including quizzes, blog posts, and shop our site at waterwomenpodcast.ca. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, stay salty.